0: Hey, my name is Karemi Wesonga, and welcome to this brand new episode with a brand new format. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the color blue. What does it mean? What does the color blue mean? What does it represent? We're also going to be talking about an African country that has adopted this color onto their flag. Then we're going to, I'm going to share a personal story, a traumatic personal story. Then I'm going to share about a woman in the Bible um, and how blue reflects in, in her life. So tune in and let's go. Did you know that from the moment you wake up, your brain is flooded by over 7 million colors? Now, out of this number, Of course some colors will give you a headache (laughs) you know and blue is one of those colors where it's not one of those colors that give you a headache relax it's just one of those colors that represent um, loyalty faithfulness trust security like all these nice nice names but blue used too much can actually represent depression and feelings of sadness now, blue, there's something interesting about the color blue. And one of those interesting facts is that blue was worn by public servants in ancient Rome. And I think that's why the police have adopted that color the world over. It's a color that's associated with security, right? Most news anchors wear blue, if you haven't noticed. Most studios are blue in color most company logos are blue in color because they want it's a, it's a psychology of color they want to um come across as as trustworthy as people you can depend on right botswana a beautiful country in the southern part of africa has a beautiful blue flag of course it has other colors it has white and black but I'd like to focus on that color blue it's also quite a beautiful shade as well it looks like the sky on a sunny day but the reason why they chose because I was curious the reason why they chose to use blue on their flag is because blue represents something that's important to them something that they value highly. Let me talk first about why they adopted this new flag. It was, they adopted it in 1966 and it was a way for them as a people to gain a new identity from becoming a British protectorate to becoming their own people, their own country with their own identity and an independent state they adopted the color blue um, on their flag because it represents water and not just water but specifically rain water to them water is a precious and scarce commodity and this is largely because um, a big chunk of the country is semi-arid There is no country in the world without a flag. Nepal is the only country without a rectangular flag. But every country in the world has a flag. And it's it's amazing how much you can tell about a country by the color of their flag and the symbols on it. But mostly the colors. And so for the Tswana, um, I know there are other minority groups in Botswana. So let me just say, in Botswana, it's it's what we learn about them is how they've used color to um, portray what's extremely important to them they have used it they have used the color blue to say that this is what we value and this is how we view life and so many other things that you can learn from that So those other segments you've listened to so far are me beating around the bush that would finally lead me to this segment. And this segment is a little um, tough for me to do just because it requires uh, vulnerability. So, But I'll try. I'll I'll try. Um, So this segment is mostly about a personal story um, because when someone says why do you look so blue or how you feeling and you respond I'm feeling blue I, I don't know I don't know I haven't met anyone who uses that in a sentence on a normal day but uh, <laughs> we just know that that statement just means that you are sad or melancholy or depressed for some reason <clears throat> so this segment in the next segment is uh, to share a personal story and a personal story. <laughs> so I've actually had to wait for my kids to sleep so that I can do this without being interrupted. At the age of five, um, a lot of things happened. It was a uh, there were major transitions going going on in my life and. The things I think that I was dealing with, I don't think any five-year-old should ever have to deal with. So I was playing outside, um, and I remember my brother had just been born. So my mother was at home with a newborn baby. So I don't know how many of you are firstborns, who as soon as your, your mommy gets... Um, a newborn baby you start to feel like you're being ignored or you're being overlooked I think it's normal for most firstborns but I I remember just having those feelings of I'm no longer the baby of the house and someone else has come to take my place and to some extent I felt like I didn't matter it's nobody's fault by the way I need to add that Um, I just guess Right now, as, as I'm a mother now, I'm able to understand, but I'm also quite aware of what I need to do for my firstborn. Anyway, we were playing outside. It was a sunny day, and it's. I've never had to recount it the way I'm, I'm just about to, but long story short, I went through a rape ordeal. I was raped by a teenage boy who lived next next door to us. He was our neighbour. And in that household, um, they there were many brothers. I just remember that household had like many boys. <laughs> and the one who was my friend was my age mate at the time. So it was it was normal for us to be playing outside and, and all that. And so of course when it happened, as it wasn't violent or anything, but when it happened, I didn't I just remember not screaming, not saying a word, but just knowing that what was happening to me was wrong. I didn't I didn't know what to do. And now as an adult, I look back and I and I see that how I deal with traumatic experiences is the same way I dealt I dealt with it back then. Is to Keep quiet about it, is to shut it off and almost erase it from my memory and never recount it and so that's what I did. I blocked it off in my mind, shut it away, like closed the door, then closed the door, <laughs> and then threw away the keys. um I remember just going back home and going about life, you know, as usual. So it never ever came up. But I also remember that up until that point, I, I used to wear these cute um, dresses, you know, and skirts and just enjoyed being a little princess, so to speak. But thinking about it as an adult... That that was the time when I stopped. I didn't like dresses anymore. I didn't like um, skirts anymore. I didn't like anything that made me look like a girl, you know. So I didn't like the color pink anymore because, you know, I don't know. I don't know who came up with this where you, you know, girls, you know, newborn baby girls, have you know, have all this pink stuff and newborn baby boys have all this blue stuff and so of course because of that conditioning of society I stopped liking the color pink and anything that represented girly stuff so I stopped playing with dolls you know and it's at that very moment you know it really shaped it really shaped who I became because now I became like a, a boy like a small boy <laughs> you know i became a complete tomboy i w- i became a tomboy my entire um my entire uh, primary school year years rather um secondary school um which in other countries you'd know that as high school <laughs> and uh and, and and a bit of my my university um schooling <sighs> hey it was i never really dealt with it you know um and i only spoke about this the first time 3 years ago 2017 yes 3 years ago three years ago I was in, uh, I was, I was married. I still am. (laughs) I still am. What I mean is I was three years into the marriage, uh, three years ago. And it's the first time I said it out loud to my husband. And before I did that, I was so scared. I was so nervous because I knew if, if this was like, you know, there was shame. And I felt like if I if I voiced this, if I said this out loud, if I said what had happened to me, that, you know, he would not be attracted to me anymore. And that um, you know, he would he would want to leave me because I mean who 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 stays who stays and, and, and loves someone who was raped? Right? It's it's something that um I I Hey, it's something that uh when I speak about, because I've spoken about it to my friends. I spoke about it to my parents last year. You know, their reaction they didn't say much about it, at least not to my face. But it's one of those things when I talk about I don't want to elicit any kind of sympathy or pity. Because um You know i was a five-year-old girl what what could i possibly have done you know what did i know at that age you know but it's but at the same time it's something that completely shifted how you know how i went on um to how i grew up (laughs) i'm thankful for that ordeal because it makes me a better parent I don't say this to mean that, um, I, I, don't say it, I don't say this to throw in a shade <laughs> to my parents, but it makes me a more observant parent to my children. So I will not let my children go out to, to play by themselves. A part of it, I must admit, is driven by fear, which is something I'm actually working towards um, not doing. I want to be able to turn that around and watch my kids play because I enjoy it rather than watching watching my kids play because I'm scared something bad might happen to them. Uh, it's wow i'm just i'm I'm just grateful that I'm able to to talk about it now openly. I'm able to express myself without um, any kind of uh, negative emotion. And it's something that I would like, it's a story I'd like to to help other people um, be empowered to speak about. It doesn't have to be about rape or sexual violence. It can be about anything that you feel empowered to speak. Because when you speak, you, you, how do, how do I say this? this is a word I'm looking for anyway when I, when I get it out. When it comes to me, I'll say it. But uh, it's it's to be able to empower the next person. If you've gone through something and you're unable to voice it out loud to somebody, I think in my experience, the first and most important step is to be able to voice it to yourself first. Because at 20, when I was 28 years old, three years ago, okay, now you're going to calculate my age. But when I was 28 years old, three years ago, was the first time I said it out loud that this happened to me when I was five years. Twenty, Can you imagine, like for 23 years, I was carrying this burden, this secret with me and I was unable to, like, to say it out loud even to myself and to acknowledge that it did happen and for me to be able to deal with it. And so whatever it is, I don't know what it is, you know, that that happened in your life that's traumatic. If you're unable to say it out to somebody, um, start, a good place to start would be to say it to yourself. Earlier on in the episode, I spoke about sharing a personal story and a personal story. Now, we have one down, one more to go. This story is about a woman, rather, um, whose name is Tamar. If you speak Hebrew, that's Tamar. Tamar. (laughs) Good. So, I've actually discovered that there's two Tamars in the Bible. The first one... um, we see in Genesis chapter 38. The one I want to speak about is found in 2 Samuel chapter 13 verse 1 to 22. Tamar was a beautiful woman the Bible describes. She is a sister to Absalom and her father is King David. She also had a, ha- um, a half-brother named Amnon. Okay what are these names? When I first read this story I felt like I could jump into the pages of the Bible and punch someone in the gut. Like, I was going to punch this dude. (laughs) It's all good. So, Tama was good. She was fine until she was raped. What happened um, as a princess is uh, one of the things that they used to do is to wear white robes. So I can imagine like a long, flowy, white dress. And when she walked around the palace, she looked like she was moonwalking because you couldn't see her feet, you know. She was beautiful. I believe that even after her ordeal, I believe she was still beautiful. She was a virgin living her best life, in short. Her her sick, sick half-brother started to obsess over her. Like it became so bad. In fact, obsess is the word that I think captures it the best. Obsession. He became, he started to think about her last after her. Like what kind of sick man would look at his sister and begin to think those kinds of thoughts? Well, Amnon apparently. So he begins to skim, and he says, "I need to get this, this chick to come to my space, right?" So he lies about being sick. He says, "I want, I just want Tamar to come and cook for me, and that's it like. And, and you know, he, he begins to describe how the whole thing, you know how he's actually mapped it out in his mind. He said, "I want her to come, I want her to cook for me food, and I want to watch her while she cooks, and then I will strike." So it actually shows you the mind of a rapist like you actually you know you sit down as a rapist (laughs) and formulate that thing in your mind to the point where you have actually done it before you do it physically and it is twisted it is so twisted anyway so um so amnon of course speaks to his father who is the king and the king you know asks Tamar i don't think it was it was asking i think she was being informed because the king gives orders so she was being informed you're going to come you're going to cook for your brother you're going to feed him and that's that so eventually she comes in as she was told because you know she's obedient and i and from from what you can see in her response she's 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 not those arrogant people at it because they are beautiful <laughs> because there are some people out here in the streets when they find out they are the most beautiful person in the estate, wow <laughs> but that's not Tamar for you, so she comes in, you know she's cooking she's doing her thing and then at some point Amnon orders all his servants to leave so that he's left with just him and Tamar and because this thing has already played out in his mind, he's just really repeating what he already thought. And so he grabs her. I don't want to repeat the phrase that a certain president you know said, <laughs> but he grabs her and then he goes on to rape her and that's just disgusting. And immediately he does that as if that's not bad enough, he then chases her out like a dog. And she even says it, um, let me just, I'm holding my Bible right here and I'd like to, to see if I can see that, that verse, that exact verse. So in verse 16, she says, no, no, she was crying at this time. And then she says, sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. Amnon destroyed her. And from that moment, she was changed and she was changed in a way that she couldn't go back. She couldn't be, be. She couldn't go back. First of all, to being a virgin, and so I guess that's what rape does to someone. It steals. It steals a whole part of you that could have been. It steals. I can't even explain it, but there's something it robs. It robs from you, and so she. She just says, you know, now you. Now you're even chasing me away. Honestly, I don't. I. You know. If I, you know, it's just already you've raped me. So you, so I already feel stripped of a, a big part of me, my insides. And then now you're kicking me out like a dog. Wow. So her brother Absalom asks her what happened, right? She, she has covered her face in her hands She's looking down in shame. She is crying. She tore her robe, you know. She put ashes on her head. This is a woman in turmoil. She's agonizing. She is in so much pain. So when Absalom sees her, he asks, he asks, "Um, is it true that Amnon has been with you? I find that quite odd because how did he know? Does that mean that people have started to talk about it? How did people find out? So on top of everything that she's going through, she's also going through people talking about her. Do we know if they're talking about her because they're sympathizing with her? We don't know. But I think that is it is it is we we can draw that conclusion because if they were sympathizing, they would be they'll probably be hugging her, you know, trying to calm her down. But he doesn't say that. The first thing Absalom says, his first reaction to Tamar is to tell her, don't say anything. He says, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Many women, um, the world over, are raped by someone they know a neighbor an uncle, a family member someone they know, someone that is known to them it's twisted and what Absalom does in this, in this story is he says but he's dignified, he's your brother, therefore you can't, you can't tell anyone what is that about? man that really that really makes me mad. It doesn't really tell us, in this passage, it doesn't really tell us how Tema, you know, overcomes this, but I hope that she did, and I hope that she got her strength back. And I hope that at some point, she stopped seeing herself as a victim, but saw herself from a point of power, of empowerment, a place where she could now help others. In the unfortunate event that you've gone through something traumatic such as rape or domestic violence, whatever it is that you've gone through that has been traumatic in your life, I'd like to say this to you. Some things kept in secret hold an unhealthy power over you. If you're unable to say it to somebody, first try and say it out loud to yourself. And then try and find places where you can say this story over and over again until it doesn't make you cry anymore. Until you have your strength back, until you have your, your, your dignity back, until you're not ashamed anymore. And until you're able to say your story from a place where you'd like somebody else to be empowered by it. hey thank you so much for listening to this episode from the start to the to the end if you're listening to this i know you've listened to the end so thank you so much let's take this conversation to instagram so please follow me for daily interactions at uh, karimi wesonga and i'll see you in the next episode or rather (laughs) i'll speak to you in the next episode god bless you